gonna, I'll just introduce myself because um, some of you don't know me. My name is Mike. Uh, I come from, I'm resident in Timaru uh, down in the South Island. Now, I'm just going to make sure that we understand everything I'm saying as we go along. You guys know there's an island south of here, right? Cool, yeah, it's called the South Island. Um, it's different. It's not actually another country. It's just actually part of New Zealand. But um, Tawaipo Namu is just down that way. And uh, I live uh, halfway between uh, Christchurch and Dunedin in a port city called Timaru. Has anyone actually been to Timaru here? Wow, 10 people. That's great. Uh, I won't tell you all the great things about Timaru. We haven't got that much time together tonight. Hey, your laughter hurts me. Your laughter hurts me. Uh, but I'm, um, I'm married to Michelle. I have uh, four amazing kids, Grace, Josiah, Asher, and Sophie. Um, Grace just had her first formal on Friday night, and I was getting video calls and amazing pictures of her looking not 17. Not 17. We're going to have some, some serious conversations with her male friends when I go home and show them the gun collection, I think, and uh, just let them know that's what happens to people who... Anyway, uh, it's, not a, it's not actually a Christian message, so we don't need to do it tonight. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're down there. I'm a, I'm a, a second-generation pastor. My parents are uh, were pastors since I was four years old, went into the ministry, and so literally my first culture is church. I was brought up in church, and some of you guys, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I've grew up in church too. I've been coming once a month for most of my life. It's like, no, no, I grew up under the seats in church, like dragged to every meeting, every kind of thing. I must have known at least 150 choruses off by heart by the age of eight, you know, so um, that and Bible I was pretty much good on. I'm not sure if I learned anything else in my early years, but I'm definitely fluent in church. So uh, it's, uh, that was amazing. But you know what? I was immersed in the story my whole life growing up, but at 19, I met the author. And when you meet the author, it changes the way you read the story. When you actually connect not with the rules and the, and the outline, but you encounter the heart. You encounter the heart behind the rules. You encounter the heart behind the culture that you are called to live out of. And you realize that this is not about limitation of enjoyment at all. It's actually about our very best and our flourishing, which is at the very heart of God and His story. And uh, that was an amazing um, uh, that was an amazing journey, really from 19 years old. I'd had encounters with God, moments where I felt something I didn't quite work out how that worked with the, the kind of culture I'd grown up in, but what a wonderful journey of discovery it is when we walk with God. You know, God reveals himself in the First Testament when he's talking to Moses, and uh, when Moses is having what, and actually I'm not going to go there, uh, a burning bush moment. He's someone that sees a burning bush in the middle of a desert. I'm not going to make any other comments about what that might say about his mental state, but he's having... He, he's walking a past and he's like, well, a talking bush that's burning, but not burning up. And he says, you know, um, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to free my people. God says out of the bush to, to Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and free my people and take, you know, confront the most powerful man in the known world. And Moses, uh, kind of trying to work out how to navigate the trickiness of that task, goes, well, when I go, whom should I say is calling? Who should I say sent me? And he says, I am who I am. And Moses goes, thanks, that's not really helpful. Um, 
Theologians tell us that that idea of I am who I am can beautifully be translated as I am who I will reveal myself to be. And he's the God of the journey, the God of Tahiranga, the God that invites us on a journey of discovery where he delights to reveal just who he is to us. And he just loves to show off just how faithful and how good and how kind and how merciful he is. In fact, it's his heart that as he pours out his heart on us, it would change us from the inside out, that we would discover what it means to be truly human and what it means to play our part in his big story. So um, I'm going to do something completely controversial and away from what I did at camp uh, this weekend, and I'm going to open my Bible. Uh, Mainly just to prove, especially since Pastor Janzi, that I'm actually a Christian and that I do Christian things like read my Bible. And I want to take you to an odd uh, passage. Some of you might know it. Uh, it's actually called, uh, this may come as a shock, but 1 Corinthians 13. You, you probably know it by a different name. Maybe you know it as Weddings 1. But we're going to have a look at it anyway. We're going to spin a bit of a yarn. We're going to come back to it and see what we can learn about God and us. Uh, in the midst of it. Corinthians, is that Old Testament? Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> this is why you should never use an actual Bible, eh? Ephesians, Galatians. <sighs> Just talk amongst yourselves for a while. Yeah. Oh, it is a Bible. I was just making sure. Good. Here we are. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily anchored, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. For where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. It goes on from there. Uh, I, I just think, uh, you know, God's got a verse for everything. I mean, just to actually have a verse just in there for our marriage ceremonies is, I mean, what a thought for God. I mean, he's taking care of all of the details. I mean, for some of us, maybe we've been in church a long time, and maybe that's the only place we've ever heard it, but it is a, it's a passage of profound significance for the church, and we're going to come back to it later. I, I, was, raised in, uh, I was born and raised in Ototahi Christchurch, and uh, my parents, as I said, went into ministry when I was four, and so um, we ended up, uh, my dad was an associate pastor of a large church in Christchurch, and then they went and planted a church in North Canterbury, uh, out in a place called Kaiapoi, um, which made headlines when it got absolutely wrecked by an earthquake. Uh, and basically half the town was a red zone. It's a town of about 10,000 outside of, well, it was 10,000 at the time outside of Christchurch. Now it's part of Christchurch, like most small towns that surround big cities. But we uh, went out there. The cool thing about growing up in Christchurch and North Canterbury is that there's always a beach within about five minutes if you are anywhere near the little towns that kind of track north of Christchurch. In fact, pretty much that part of the South Island is just one big beach. It starts in Sumner, which is kind of the little tail curl into Banks Peninsula, and it's just this nice little beach that's nestled in with walks and, and shops. Comes round, you've got Brighton, which kind of tracks uh, down the side of Christchurch. 
church. And then you've got a few river, ma- river mouths, but then you have these kind of small towns that, uh, and small like village settlements that go basically all the way up to the Kaikoura Mountains. And they just have this strip of beach that is grey sand, sand dunes, backed with pine trees. That's pretty much it. And you can pretty much look from one end of that part of the coastline to the other. They all have different names, but they essentially look very similar. But uh, you're always only five minutes drive from the beach. And so uh, me and my friend uh, Pete, who was another pastor's kid, uh, he was actually a year ahead of me uh, when I was in high school. So I was doing my last year of high school. He was at university. And so sometimes when the weather was just perfect, it seemed good that we would uh, go and hang out at the beach before he went to university and just before I was due to finish school. And so uh, we'd take sometimes long lunches, but I shouldn't be talking about that in the church. But it was important because it wasn't just my intellect that needed to develop, but I needed to grow my social skills. I needed to have an outlet for my emotions and all of the big issues that you wrestle with when you are a boy in high school. I mean, we needed space to talk about girls. And so we would go to the beach and uh, you kind of park in the car park, cut through the pine trees. You find yourself on the beach. And we love these beaches on the East Coast because if you actually, uh, it's really hard to say this in an intelligent way, but if you like getting smashed by waves, it's a teenage boy thing, don't worry about it. Uh, Most of what we do doesn't make sense. Uh, and sometimes girls join in as well. But uh, you kind of go out there, and there's always kind of the swell just coming from the east. So there's always these crashing waves, and people like to get out there on their bodyboards. It's not, not super great for surfing, but people try. But there's always something going on. It's never like lake-like. It's never still. There's always something going on. And so, you know, you get out there. You kind of chuck all your stuff down, keys, wallets, uh, T-shirts, all of that. And then we'd go out and just muck around in the waves. You're kind of always mindful because they're always rolling in, and you know that they're probably going to hurt. There's going to be an impact and uh, you just need to be mindful of it because if it's just a little one you can kind of jump through it but actually if it's a big one it can kind of have the ability to pick you up and throw you head first into the sand does anyone know what I'm talking about yeah cool and some of them just don't look that strong but they're stronger than they look and so you're there mindful of these currents you're there trying to do your thing you're having a conversation again remember this is the deepest things of life who we happen to be crushing on at the time and how we thought that might play out and perhaps some really clever strategies that probably weren't that clever about how we might get uh, more connected to them. And so we would be having these conversations and, and we'd be mindful of the waves, kind of one eye on each other, uh, one eye on the beach and, and one eye on the, these rollers that just keep coming in so that we could just, just be mindful of where we were and how we were being affected by these waves. But one day after about 40 minutes, we, we said, man, it's really time to get going. He needs to get to Christchurch for university. We walk out of the water, up the beach to where our stuff is and it's gone. It's gone. And we're like, oh no, someone has stolen our stuff. It's, it's gone. We, uh, how does this happen? We, we had one eye on the waves. We kind of had uh, half an eye on, on each other and half an eye on the gear. But the problem is you can see for miles and we, we haven't seen anyone. We haven't seen anyone come on the beach. We, we, there's just been no one the whole time we've been there. We're adamant. We're kind of having the discussion on how did we miss this. This is crazy. And then we're like, oh, no, uh, we, we've, got time, we've got time pressure. There's stuff we've got to get to. So let's just get up. Let's get through the trees, get to the car park. And luckily, when you're that age back in those days, you generally owned a car that could be opened with a spoon. So, so it was like, we need to find a spoon. Uh, so that we can get into the car, so you can, I can get back to, to Kaipoi and tell my parents I was in class, and you can get to university. 
And so uh, we kind of go, cool, let's hit the trees. So we go up to the trees, and you're not going to believe it, but someone has stolen the path through the trees as well. We're like, where is it? It must be here somewhere. And so we just start tracking. We start tracking up this way, and then we start talking, going, man, this is crazy. And then after about 15 minutes of walking, we, we bump into our stuff. Because everything looks the same. We bump into our stuff and go, oh man, someone didn't steal it. And look, oh, look, the path through the trees is there as well. And the car's there as well. You see, we were in there and we were conscious of the currents we could see. But there were some currents that were dragging us somewhere we didn't want to go that we were completely unaware of. There was currents that we could mitigate. We could look at them and adjust our position or be mindful or brace or strengthen for. But actually there was some stuff happening underneath the surface that was dragging us, shaping us, pulling us somewhere we didn't want to go. We weren't intentionally giving consent to. We weren't even aware of it, but it was actually shaping us and forming us. It was pulling us in a particular direction to take us to a destination we never intended to travel to. And all of the time, we were completely unaware of it. How many of us know that we live in a culture that's dragging us, for the most part, somewhere we were not designed to go? Growing up in church, you could kind of see the big things that were going on in the world. In fact, you know, my idea, I've got a different idea of the law now, but when I grew up, because I dominated kids' church so much uh, in terms of my star charts, my stickers, and yes, sometimes I even would get something out of the treasure box. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it, they were mountaintop moments, and it's emotional to think about it. And I knew the Ten Commandments, and I knew that if I could just watch out for those big waves, those Ten Commandments, as long as I didn't sleep with my neighbor's wife, as long as I didn't murder anyone, as long as I just kept away from those big things that really would get you in trouble with God, I'll probably be fine. I can, there's some waves I can see, there's some waves I can perceive, there's some waves that I can understand, and if I can understand them and I can see them and I know them, then I can avoid them. Then, then surely I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the good Christian life. I'm, I'm nailing this thing. As long as I'm, you know, uh, I mean, we always give ourselves a little bit of grace as teenagers on the only mother and father thing, but on all the others, I was definitely dominating it. And I felt pretty good about it. That's what I thought that Christianity was not doing the big things wrong. I thought, look, I'm aware of all of the currents that are at work on me. I'm actually, I'm nailing this. I'm, I'm all good. The problem is, That when Jesus comes along in the New Testament, he said, hey guys, in the first covenant you had a contract that had a whole bunch of rules, but you were always thinking about how close you could get to the line without breaking them, and you were always focused on the letter, and you neglected the heart of the law. You neglected the intent behind it. By the time Jesus turns up, everyone's made not 10 rules, but there's hundreds of rules. Everyone's kind of put, trying to control it, work out what faithfulness looks like. And in all of their attempts, they have managed to completely miss the point. It's meant to be God's heart for humanity, that we would live a life that's honoring to God and each other. In all of the gospel accounts, we have this one quote that basically, when a question is asked to Jesus, and, and he basically says, or he's either asked or he's asking someone, what's the most important part of the law? And what's the answer? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
The whole law and the prophets are built on these things. See, the problem was I wasn't breaking the rules, but I wasn't growing in loving God and loving people. My understanding of what the Christian life was was probably more likely causing me to evaluate the world around me. Sometimes when you know the rules, you know how you know, people are new to a game sometimes and you've been playing it for ages? You know the rule and you're like, yes, I'm going to dominate this. And it's like, you're all real nice on the outside. Oh, come, it'll be fun. Come play. It's like you're a card shark and you're about to take everybody's money. You know, like, come, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fun. But you're sitting there going, I'm going to nail you at this. I am better at this than you. I've been playing this for a long time. In fact, what the Lord does and what it did in me and what it did in the Old Testament is it rose up a people who could point the finger at everybody else without evaluating their faithfulness to the heart of the Lord. They decided that they were God's holy people. And so when talk of the kingdom of God came, in their mind that was, hey, we'll just jump inside the castle, we'll pull up the drawbridge, and we'll throw verse rocks over the walls, and we'll see if we can hit some people and feel good about ourselves doing it. So what happened with Israel? They're like, we're God's people, that's awesome, and you're not. That's why Jonah has that emotional outburst, when God shows mercy to people who aren't him. Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Oh, I just wanted that for me. Not them, they're bad people. I don't want them to get it, it's just for me. And it created this sense of superiority that did that for me. So the problem was I, I felt I could see the currents that were coming at me because I knew the rules of the game, but I misunderstood the game completely. We live in a culture that tells a story that does not begin with Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. Has anyone noticed that? You may have noticed a few ripples that have come from that narrative that is causing unprecedented harm in our communities. People, instead of looking to God to be anchored in for everything that they could possibly need, they are being told that you, instead of finding God, you can be the God for you. The church is meant to be the storytelling community that tells God's story to the world. That tells the world that the world is not how you think the world is. There's a way that the world should be and it's God's good world. Everything is for him, to him, and through him. And he's called a bunch of broken people like you and me to be that community that would reveal the wisdom of who he is and just how right his story is in the world. That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to fulfill us being the chosen people who will be his, as Paul would say, his ambassadors in the world. The problem is every time we walk out of the space, we're being hit with a different story. A story where you are the main character. Whereas in here, we tell the story that he is. When we come together, we pray the story, we sing the story, we share the story, we live the story to each other, and then we go out encouraged and go and live that story and minister that story to the world. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. 
So what are these currents we can't see? Well, as soon as you're not hearing the story, praying the story, singing the story, reading the story, you're hearing somebody else's story. And that story is shaping you more than you could possibly imagine. I talk about it like this. I mentioned to the young people in the weekend, it's like we're a steak sitting in a marinade. Going, I might be sitting at it all the time, but I'm not taking on the flavor. I'm definitely not taking in the flavor. Oh, it's warm in here. That's nice. Oh, is that garlic? Oh, this is, I'm not taking it on. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I'm holy. I'm, I'm not integrating with it. I'm distinctive from it. That's what holy means for those of you who read your Bible. He was calling to himself a holy people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, people who would actually be in amongst but distinctive from. That's why when John the Revelator is talking to the church in Laodicea, he says this, he said, you know, uh, you've neither been hot nor cold, and so I've spat you out of my mouth. People, I've heard that preached in interesting ways, but this is what I understand it to mean. You blend it in with everything around you instead of offering something different. You are room temperature. You offer no distinction. You're a, you're a church in camouflage with the world. You're, instead of being a community in the world, shaping the world to God's story, you're God's people in the world's story becoming more like the world. But we're not taking on the flavor. But it is really warm in here. It's nice. Oh, it's just relaxing. Oh, I can just open up my pores and say, oh, I'm not taking it on. I'm not taking it on. I'm not becoming flavored like that. I'm not, I'm not becoming more like it. I'm the one that's bringing change to it. It's not bringing change to me. But that's simply not true. If we live a life and we've been coming to church and we've been singing the songs and praying the prayers, but we believe the world is still about us, then we haven't understood the story. We've actually been soaking up more of that marinade than you could possibly imagine. Did you know that when we said yes to Jesus, we didn't invite him into our lives so that he could make our dreams come true? We actually became part of his kingdom to make his dreams come true. That the world would be the way he calls it, the way he made it, the way he sees it. Not with those little whispers that come with lies so clever that sound like the truth. This has been our line all weekend. It says, oh, you know, God's just trying to ruin your fun. Don't get bogged down with that responsibility. Come on, it's just about you. You're the main character in this story. Come on, just look after you. Come on, it's just, it's, it's all about you. You, just need, you need to just, you know, take a bit, love yourself more. You just need to take care of yourself. Take some time for yourself. I mean, look, I, I'm not saying time for yourself is wrong, but if we live out of a story where everything is for us rather than for him, then we're salt that's lost its saltiness. And Jesus, when he comes up with the Sermon on the Mount, he goes, you know, you've heard it said in the old way that got misunderstood this, but I tell you, it's about what's going on in your heart. You've heard it said, don't do this behavior, but I tell you, be very careful that you don't even have that thought. Anyone know the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5 to 7. It's kind of like the founding document for disciples. Jesus people, people who have decided to live under the rule and reign of Christ, that's pretty much our instruction manual. He says, what matters is not you getting what you want when you want. What matters is your heart attitude towards others. 
because that's what it looks like to live in the rule and reign of Christ is to ask God to come and to heal and to fix our hearts so that we can be truly human, so that we can be the image bearers we were called to be, so we can be the angled mirrors that people would look at us and give glory to our Father in heaven. So when 1 Corinthians 13 is written and pulled out and used for marriages and we kind of go, yeah, that is God's heart for marriages, that's love. Did you know that 1 Corinthians 13 is written as an instruction, as a baseline for the Christian community? It's not written for husbands and wives, it's written for brothers and sisters. It's written for everyone who calls the church home. It's written for everyone who says Jesus is Lord. It's meant to be our guiding uh, value in showing or telling the world God's story through the way we do this community. But we've been swimming in some waters with some pretty strong rips. They kind of go, oh yeah, no, I love Jesus. I love how, what he's added to my life, but I'm just going to go here. Actually, dear Lord, Jeannie, come, oh, sorry, dear Lord Jesus, come with me. Oh, hope that wasn't important. <laughs> come on, dear Lord Jeannie, I've got two wishes left. Come on. It's like, no, no, it's, it's dear Lord Jesus. Come on, Lord, would you, would you shape me and mold me? Would you, would you take? I found it so I can avoid it from now on, just for those of you who are panicking. Would you shape me and would you, would you heal the selfishness in my heart? Where I've been told, I've been sitting in a marinade where it's all about me, but God, I've come to discover your story and I realize that it's actually all about you. I want to live a life that brings honor and glory to you. I want to, I want to be part of co-laboring with you and restoring a good creation that would come back to reflecting the glory back to its maker. That's what it means to be the people of God. And this is our baseline. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, he says this, you know, First Corinthians is for the church. They're expected to love each other, even in marriage. The married people laugh, eh? Like, oh, yeah, that's where it gets tested. Like, this is the cauldron. You know, you can be really nice and forgiving to that person you talk to once a year. But what about the one that really annoys you all the time? Obviously, it's a hypothetical story about marriage. That's not true of my own. Anyway, this has not been recorded. We're good? Okay, good. (laughs) Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. Come on, this is the opposite to the story that every Netflix show tells us. It's the opposite to every time you pick up your Instagram and realize that you're either passing or failing based on comparison. Come on, some of us are living like your wordle is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Because we're more committed to that daily practice than we are in being shaped in the right story. That's why Psalm 1 says, blessed are those who do not sit in the counsel of the wicked who do not dwell or delight to to hang out with mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. They meditate on his word day and night, and they're like trees planted by streams of living water. Their leaves never wither, and they produce fruit in every season, and everything they do prospers. Anyone want to be a prosperous, flourishing Christian? Anyone want to be a flourishing human who's actually not just getting the thing that you thought was best for you, which is original sin, by the way, but actually what God has designed you to walk in and to be an agent for, for others? That's the gospel. That's the story that God speaks over us. It's the story that God invites us into, and it doesn't start with us getting more of what we need. It starts with us bowing the knee to Him and saying, God, would you make me more what you and the world around me needs? Because I have been purchased by you for you. 
I haven't just been saved from something, I've been saved for something. I've been saved to be mobilized, released, empowered by your very spirit to go and make a difference in the world. I'm not talking about actually having goals that you can feel good about in terms of your impact in the world. I'm talking about everyday faithfulness with Jesus, inviting him to come and to shape him, to shape you and mold you to live a life worthy of the calling. So Paul writes this to the community. He says, actually, you can, uh, you can have, um, oh, I won't use the word activate because we don't know each other that well yet. Um, I'm just trying to work out what I can get away with. Um, I'm going to use my church, Connect Church. Because this isn't Connect, you know, our Sunday gatherings in my place is not Connect Church has got talent. It's not a talent show. It's not a concert. It's actually a place where we're growing in our love for God and each other. So when Paul writes Corinthians, he writes this letter and he says this. He says, uh, some of you guys want to be superstars on Sunday with the gifts you've got. And I'm not dissing Sunday, by the way. We do church just like this. See, some of you guys want to be superstars on Sunday, and some of you are kind of thinking there's certain things that are more important than what I think is important. And he's writing to Christians, like he's writing to the church. These are people who are trying to love God as best as they can. He said, we just need to do a course correction here. Because you guys come and think when you prophesy real loud, and when you speak tongues, you feel super spiritual. It's like the spiritual gifts got talent sort of a showcase. And he's like, but none of it matters if you don't grow in love. In fact, he says there's a billion different ways you can do it, but there's no higher way than love. He says at the bottom of 1 Corinthians 12, before he goes into weddings 1, and sorry, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, let me show you a more excellent way. More than talenting off, working out our value based on what God's gifted us, but actually being people who are committed to becoming the people he's called us to become. The, verse, the first verse in 1 Corinthians 14 says this, Pursue love and desire the gifts. The gifts are secondary to the pursuit of becoming, of knowing and meeting Jesus face to face, meeting the embodiment of love face to face, having a personal relationship with love face to face and becoming more like him, to have an encounter with him that literally changes the fabric of who we are, that we don't just receive his love, but we become conduits of his love for the world. Or as Paul would say, that we would become his ambassadors. And when an ambassador's doing his job right, they don't turn up and tell the person they've been sent to their opinion. They come with the message the one who sent them wants to give them. If you just come and bring your opinion, you get fired. When the ambassador of the United States of America turns up in Jacinda Ardern's office, he goes, I just thought I'd come and share with you my opinion about what's good. She said, what are you doing in my office? You're one that's been commissioned by someone with more authority than you. So I only want to know what they want you to say. That's our calling. Paul says it's like God is making his appeal to the world directly through us. This is what it means. We're ones who are sent. We're ones who are filled with the Spirit and sent to model, to live out, to prophetically declare through our everyday faithful actions to live out the drama of God's story in the world. Every time we meet as the people of God and we remind ourselves of that story and we realize there's a danger that we're getting pulled away by another story, but we come here every week, not because we have to, not because that's a check in the box to make sure our eternity insurance is current, 
We come here because we know we desperately need it. Because we know we're, in, we're swimming in waters with strong currents. And we know we need to be here because we've been called to live a story that the world is not telling us. But it's a story that this community is built around. We're here because of Jesus. We're here because we were walking in darkness, but now He, by His grace, has brought us into the kingdom of His dear Son, the kingdom of light. We, we were once walking around blind, but now we see. We can live in a, an actual relationship with, like I said, love himself. That's what First John says. He says that God is love. And he basically says the same thing six times in the first chapter. But sometimes in church, I wonder if we have more of a First John 2 faith. Everyone's like, where's that? Um, anyway, it's just after First John 1. I know. I've got a gift with intellect. Um, But it says this, it starts off like this. Oh, we know we shouldn't sin, but if we do sin, we know that God is faithful to forgive us. But we forget 1 John 1, which says, if you're not growing in the love of Christ, then the love of Christ is not in you. We're all about getting our sins cleansed, because guess what? One One of the currents that we're swimming in is consumerism. It says, I'll be attracted to it if it gives me something that benefits me. I'll let you think about that one for a bit. We are. This is one of the pulls. This is one of the rips. It's all about you. It's about what you can get. It's about what comes back to you. And we're not called to be consumers of the cross. We're called to be imitators. Come on, as disciples, we're not just happy customers. We are apprentices. We walk with love so that we can continue the work of love. That's why Jesus called disciples. Did you know he didn't leave a book? He left a community. sometimes we live in 2D but actually God has called us to live the message 3D and that's why he says that the way that you love one another is the way the world will know that you're my people he didn't say the way you remember scripture although remembering scripture is helpful if it's immersing you in the story but we live in a, we, we live in a world that says hey what's coming to me and then we, when we live in a world one of those rips is if I could just get more intellectual knowledge then I'd be better the problem is intellectual 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 knowledge won't help you at all but knowledge that becomes understanding that when applied becomes wisdom will help you an awful lot when it goes from one dimensional information to three dimensional reality it won't just be a blessing to you but it'll be a blessing to all those around you that's why Paul when writes he writes to a young leader in Timothy in first Timothy said Timothy watch what you believe and how it integrates into how you live, because if you do that, you won't just save yourself, but everyone that's in your orbit. You're like, what version is that? Is it the passion? No, sorry, actually, that's my kind of thing. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. For in doing so, you won't just save yourself, but your hearers also. Come on, guys, this isn't about what we know. It's not about knowing the rules. It's not about memorizing the stuff. It's about how we let it literally transform, reshape, transform us so that we can be those ones that Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Romans, he says this, all of creation groans for the true sons and daughters of God to appear. God, the world is waiting for the church to rise up and be all she's called to be. The world is waiting for the church to rise up and be all God paid for her to be. Come on, heaven was emptied that his vision might be fulfilled, not that our wants would be satisfied. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm anchored to something bigger than my feelings. 
because that's the story the world's telling you. The only person you can trust is you. <laughs> the only thing that's really reliable is your feelings. And then in the same breath, they'll go, hey, by the way, your feelings and everything about your identity is fluid. So basically, if you could really attach yourself to nothing, that would be really helpful for you and everybody else around you. It's a problematic story. At a philosophical, at a psychological, at a theological level. That is a deeply troubling story, and it could result in unprecedented mental illness in a generation. Oh, it has. Look at that. Guess what? When you rub creation the wrong way, it bites back. Because this just isn't a creation. This is a creation that started with, in the beginning, God. This is God's good world. His way goes. His truth is the truth. Come on, his story is the story. Come on, it's the only one worth laying your life down for. Come on, he says, you know, when you're really in this and you know that you're growing in love and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it won't be just your ability to do signs and wonders, although miracles are very much a part of the church and I never want to be a part of a church where we don't see God do cool stuff. But the greatest miracle you'll ever see as a Pentecostal is having a heart transformation from stone to flesh where God softens your heart towards God and others. That's what the Bible teaches. It's who we're called to be. That's our story. That's our story. This is not an encouragement for those who are married. This is an encouragement for those who are married to Christ through baptism. That's it. This is our baseline. I don't know about you, but I just find myself praying more and more. The more I understand God's story, the more I understand who he is and what he's called me to, the more I realize I desperately need him. The more I realize I just can't do this by myself the more I'm having to step into actual faith. You guys are talking about faith at the moment. Come on. It's a, it, to actually be the faithful people of God is what it means to be a people of faith. You know, in the Greek, there's no differentiation between the word faith and faithful. It's the same word. God called us to be his people. We're like, oh yeah, when you say we'll be his people and he'll be our God, that means we just have this like felt connection where we feel like he's ours and we're his. He's like, no, no, you're my people because you are my representatives. Here, you're the ones that, hey, come on, our truth. Everyone, that's kind of the big buzz, right? Oh, you need to live your truth. It's like, no, no, you need to live his truth. I said to the young adults, living your truth is like going on a bungee jumping exercise and attaching yourself with a rock and jumping off with the rock. Can we get a logical amen? Like, that's a bad idea, right? When truth and the only anchor that really is going to serve us is the one that we find in ourselves, we're all in deep trouble. I'm not anchored to my feelings, which means I don't get to have everything I want. I don't get to have what I want, when I want, with who I want. But I'm anchored to something so much bigger than that. I'm anchored to something that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, I'm anchored to something that when everything else that can be shaken, will be shaken. But my foundation still stands. When COVID comes and my personal needs aren't met, I, I don't have to freak out because it's just circumstance. Come on, I don't, I don't want to live a life subject to my circumstances. Anyone else want the drama of that? That's like an emotional roller coaster that after two years of art, none, none of us ever want to go on again. Oh no, what's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with that? What's going to happen with that? It's like, oh yeah, I think I'm just going to take shelter under your wing. It feels like a safe place to be. Because didn't we get all of this because you said it, you breathed it, you spoke it? Yeah, I, I think your wings where I'll find shelter. 
I think I'll anchor myself in you. I reckon that could be the best place to be. Would you stand with me tonight? So I've got this little nagging voice in the back of my head that says the only thing that matters, Mike, is getting this at the end of your race. Well done, good and faithful servant. I've been in the church for 41 years and I just desperately want to hear it. God, I want want to do life my way. I want to do life your way. God, I don't want to be part of the problem of the brokenness in this world. God, I want to be part of the solution. God, I don't want to lay my life down for me. I want to lay it down for you. God, I I want this life to count. I want it to matter. I want to walk in my created purpose. I I want to be who you've called me to be, God. I I don't want to be always shaped by my brokenness, but increasingly I want to be shaped by the healing that you're bringing into my heart. That God, I don't want to just settle for being broken human. I, I want to go on the journey of being truly human. Lord, I don't want to be a disciple of the first Adam. I want to be a disciple of the second Adam the one who came and got it right, who pushed through, who broke the boundaries, who, who showed the world what it like, is like to truly live. A life not centered on self, but a life centered on you and those around me. Now church, we need to claim back the love word. It's ours. It's our deal. Our boss is the living embodiment of love. joy set before him he endured the cross we hear stuff like that and for those of us who've been drifting in the currents we're like hold on a minute I'm all for making a difference changing the world and getting purpose that sounds painful we don't like painful because we love comfort we love comfort we live in an incredibly wealthy culture where we can get most of the comfort that we want when we want anyone else like to eat their feelings in the room ah so good to be amongst family We get what we want when we want. I don't want it anymore. It never takes me where I want to go. It never solves the problem it promises to fix. Come on, the problem's still there. We self-medicate our hearts, but every time we try it, we realize that God's story is true. Because the things that the world tells us, it just never delivers what it promises. And I find myself back here going, God, I just want more of you. Would you come and give me the heart transplant? Would you, would you finish the good work you've begun in me? God, would you finish the healing journey? Lord, would you really teach me to walk in not what my idea of freedom is, but Lord, can I get a revelation, a heart revelation of what it means when you said when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. That we're free not to live under the slavery of our own broken desires, but we are free to walk in all that you've purchased for us to walk.